Okay, good uh, evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of Bible Questions and Answers. And in tonight's episode, we're going to focus on questions people ask about angels and demons. Now, before we go ahead and proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty Yahuwah Abba, thank you so much for the life and strength that we enjoy up until this moment. We believe, Father, it is you who directs our steps, who guides us into more and more wisdom as we grow in knowledge concerning how to properly and pleasingly worship you. Be with us in our study today. Help us, Father, to understand your will and to devote ourselves completely to you and to your beloved son. Yahushua, the son of God, the Mashiach and the appointed savior of mankind. We worship you at this hour. May you please dwell in our minds always and may you remain always in the midst of our hearts. Father, please forgive all our sins. May you bless and heal your people throughout the world. And may you always pave the path for each and every one of us that we may reach safely and peacefully the kingdom of heaven. We believe, Father, that you have hearkened to our prayer. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Okay. All right. Good day to everyone. Like what we said, we're going to focus our study today um, brought by one of our viewers concerning angels and demons. So we're going to answer questions that people ask about angels and demons. And so this is the set of questions uh, submitted to us. This, these are the questions we're going to be addressing today. Um, hello, Paul. I have always been curious about angels and demons in the Bible. What do angels look like? That's question number one. Do they really have wings? Why does Yahuwah no longer send angels down here today? How many angels did he create and why? What do demons look like? Is Satan a demon? If that's the case, are demons just fallen angels? And number three, how does one get possessed by a demon? Have you personally, Kajan, ever had to perform an exorcism? Hopefully you're able to answer these in the next Q&A. Thank you, Paul. So we're very excited to present to you the biblical answers to the questions this person asks about angels and demons. So let's begin with question number one. What do angels look like? Well, this is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. By the way, before we continue, I want to preface Uh, this whole segment, this episode, by making the distinction between angels who are human beings and angels who are spirits. Because the word angel does not denote the nature of the one being called an angel. Rather, it means one who was sent by God. So if one is sent by God, he can be a human being or not. He can be a celestial being or not. If he was sent by God for a specific purpose, then he qualifies as on angel. In our topic today, in this episode, we will focus the question specifically to celestial beings who are called angels. And the Bible says these celestial angels are spirits. What does it mean that they are spirits? Yahushua said, if one is spirit, he has no flesh and bones. So a celestial angel, an angel that comes from heaven, This angel does not have a physical form. He has no flesh and blood because he is 
spirit. However, throughout scripture, there's a phenomenon called angelophany. What is that? Though they have no physical form, angels can, at times, because they have the ability to do so, assume a body as the Lord allows them. This is also known as an angelophany, the appearance of an angel. Because from time to time, Yahuwah God sends angels to help the people of God, to inform the people of God, to deliver the people of God, and these angels interact with human beings. To do so would require that they assume a body, that they transform themselves or manifest themselves in certain forms. This is called an angelophany. What's an example of an angelophany? Genesis 19, 1 to 5, that evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom, Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So as they went home with him, Lot prepared a feast for them complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So here we have an example of angels. Two angels, we know their spirit, but because they performed a certain function, they had to take on a specific form. In this instance, they took on the form of men. But as they took on the form of men, what were they able to do? If you notice that Lot prepared food for them, and what did they do? They ate, and so it came complete, apparently, with the digestive system. Now, I don't know what would happen with the food that was processed through the digestive system these angels had after the, their angelophany. We'll just have to figure that out when we are in heaven. Apparently, they took on a human form. They looked like human beings. They looked like men. And apparently, they looked very handsome, right? Because the people all over Sodom, they wanted to meet these two angels. How else? Or what else is an example of an angelophany? Joshua 5, 13 or 14. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man, a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of Yahuwah's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? In this instance, Joshua, preparing for battle, he was near the town of Jericho. And all of a sudden, a man stands in front of him, in front of him with a sword in hand. And when Joshua took note of him, the question he asked was, are you friend and foe? He did not ask are you human? Because it was obvious he looked just like a regular human being. That's why the question he asked is, are you friend or foe? So he appeared as a man. This 
angel that came to represent uh, as the commander of Yahuwah's army. He came as a human being, an angel often. How else are angels sometimes manifested? Matthew 28, 2 to 3, suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. When Yahushua died, he was buried, and the Romans placed a big stone in front of the entrance to make sure none of Yahushua's disciples would get into the tomb to access the body of Yahushua, but this big boulder of a stone was removed by an angel of the Lord. How did the angel look like? His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. So depending on the, fo- uh, depending on the function, the angels sent by Yahuwah God transformed themselves into a form that is suitable for that function. In this case, the angel of the Lord appeared very fearsome, powerful, not just a regular human being. And so to answer the question, what do angels look like? It depends. Physically, they have no form because they are what? They are spirits. Let's go to the next question. Do they really have wings? In the Holy Scriptures, when angels interact with human beings, angels were never depicted as beings with wings. This is why when we have Michael, the archangel, when we say archangel, it basically means the chief or leader of the angels. Gabriel, for example, Michael, for example, in their interactions with human beings, they were never depicted with wings. Unlike what we see today in pictures and art, angels of God do not have wings when it comes to angelophanies. However, when it comes to visions, it is different. There are two instances where angels have been depicted with wings. What is one? The book of Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Each have six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is Yahuwah of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What is one instance of angels being depicted with wings? Here in the vision of Isaiah, he saw the throne of God. And in the throne of Yahuwah God, he was surrounded by angels. What kind of angels? Seraphim. Each has, each of the seraphim had six wings. And so this is one example of angels depicted with wings. What else? The book of Ezekiel 10, 3 to 5. The cherubim were standing at the south end of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud of glory filled the inner courtyard. The glory of Yahuwah rose up from above the cherubim, and went over to the door of the temple. The temple was filled with this cloud of glory, and the courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of Yahuwah. The moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of God Almighty and could be heard even in the outer courtyard. And so 
Besides the seraphim, there are also a class of angels called cherubim. And in the book of Ezekiel, the cherubim is depicted with wings. And when Yahuwah gave instructions to Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant, on the top plate, they were supposed to have the wings of the cherubim. All right. And so cherubim, according to Ezekiel, they also have wings. And Ezekiel described the moving wings of the cherubim producing a sound like the voice of God Almighty. Now, these wings of these angels, are they literal wings? We don't believe they're literal wings. Like we said, they take on the form according to the function required them. And in these instances, in Isaiah, with regards to the seraphim, and Ezekiel, with regards to the cherubim, in both instances, these were visions, visions that Yahuwah God showed Isaiah and Ezekiel. It was, they were not angels interacting physically with mankind. So it is possible that the wings that was revealed in the visions given to Isaiah and Ezekiel depict something else or symbolizes something else. Why do we believe this could be? Well, if we read Ezekiel 10, 3 down to 5, the cherubim with wings. What, how does Ezekiel also describe them in the vision that he saw concerning the cherubim? In Ezekiel 10, 14, each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox. The second was a human face. The third was the face of a lion. And the fourth was the face of an eagle. Perhaps... This was representative or symbolic of God's work concerning the people of Israel. We studied this before. Remember the human face, the ox, the lion, the eagle. What did that represent? It represented Israel because when God organized them, he organized them into four main camps, the camp of Dan, the camp of Judah, the camp of Reuben, and the camp of Ephraim. And each of these camps had an ensign. The ensign of Judah was a lion. The camp of Reuben was a man. The camp of Ephraim was an ox. And the camp of Dan was an eagle. So perhaps the cherubim that was seen in the vision was to communicate a prophecy concerning the, his the history and the future of the people of Israel. Because when you look at Ezekiel, it speaks about the future of Israel during the days of the tribulation or after the Christian or during the Christian era. So perhaps that could be what the wings are representing, symbolic of something else. So, but when it comes to angels having a physical wing or physical wings, that is not the case because they are spirit in nature, okay? Next question, why does Yahuwah no longer send angels down here today? I believe Yahuwah God does. Haven't you been visited by an angel lately? No? Somebody that looks like an angel or maybe someone whose work or service is akin to that of an angel? Have you had visits like that before? Maybe, maybe not, but the Bible says one of the functions of angels is Hebrews 1.14. Therefore, angels are only servants, a spirit sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Who are those who will inherit salvation? The people of 
God. And so if you are a servant, if you're a follower of Yahusha, you're a people or a son and daughter of Yahuwah God, guess what? You will be assigned an angel. An angel will be sent to take care of you. So how do angels take care of the people of God who will inherit salvation? The book of Psalms 91, 9, and 12, if you make Yahuwah your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't have even hurt your foot on a stone. So what can angels, invisible servants sent by God to take care of his people, what can they do for us? Bible says they can protect us from evil, from plague, protect us when we go from place to place so that we do not hurt ourselves. So those are some of the things angels are in charge of doing. Sometimes they do this invisibly, but sometimes they do it in a concealed way, but they do it in a different fashion. Why do we say this? Hebrews 13, 1 to 2, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it why did they not realize it because they look just like us why because angels are spirits that can take on a form what is that called angel angelophany and so in the process of taking on form they can look exactly like us and so they can be strangers. And so Apostle Paul tells us you should always be hospitable to strangers because you never know. You could be dealing with an angel. I'm sure many of us have an experience when we find ourselves in a hard place or we are in some kind of trouble and someone offers to help us. And then when we look back to check and to thank them, all of a sudden they're gone. Have you had that experience before? I'm sure you have. This is an example of an angelophany where an angel takes on a human form and they help you without even realizing that they were angels until after you realize, wait a minute, where did the guy go? Who's going to thank him, right? So does Yahuwah God still send angels? Yes, he certainly does. And he will send angels in the future as well. To perform a very specific function. Let's go to the next question. How many angels did God create? Good question. Psalm 68, 17. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. How many here can multiply that? Tens of thousands of thousands of thousands. How many is that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, it was summarized like this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So basically, the number of angels created by Yahuwah God is innumerable, as many as the stars in heaven. In fact, angels are likened to stars in heaven. So we don't really know the exact number. I wish I can give you a number, like 5,695,308. But there's no number like that in the Holy Scriptures. It does mention innumerable company of angels. But the more important question, I believe, is why, right? Why did Yahuwah God create angels 
in the first place. Psalms 148, 1 down to 2. Praise Yahuwah. Praise Yahuwah from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. In Yahuwah's court in heaven, there are innumerable angels who praise and sing to Yahuwah our God. That's one of the functions of angels. What else? In Hebrews 1, 6 to 7. And when he brought his firstborn son into the world, God said that all God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. So angels also function to worship the Son of God and to worship God who created all things. Besides this, what also is the purpose of an angel? Purposes of angels is to be servants, to do what Yahuwah God instructs them to do. This is why the word angel when we look at Hebrew, its Greek meaning, angelos, it means one sent by Yahuwah God. So when one sends an angel for a specific function, he is acting as a servant of Yahuwah God. So they praise Yahuwah, they worship Yahuwah, and they also serve Yahuwah God. In what way do they serve God? By telling, by doing what God wants them to do. And oftentimes angels are sent into the world so that we can be cared for as what we read in Hebrews 1.14. They were sent to take care of the people who will inherit salvation. However, besides being sent to the world to help and to take care of people who will, who will be saved, what also is the function of angels? Revelation 8, 7, the first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burnt and all the green grass was burned. Angels are also going to be instrumental in executing judgment and the wrath of God upon the earth from time to time. Throughout the history of the people of God, from the days of Adam and Eve all the way to Israel, specifically Israel, when they became a nation and they had armies that fought against other armies of other nations. During those battles, oftentimes Yahuwah God would send angels so that they can act as warriors, an army, to help the people of Israel be delivered from the hands of their enemy. So, they act to exercise judgment upon those appointed for the wrath of God. So these are the functions and purposes of angels. They are to serve Yahuwah our God. Okay, so that's number one. Let's go to number two. What do demons look like? Is Satan a demon? If that's the case, are demons just fallen angels? Well, who is Satan, first of all? Because once we get that, the other two questions kind of follow that, right? Who, who is Satan? What was his origin? Revelation 12, verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So the Bible speaks about Satan, and all his angels, which tells us Satan did not used to be Satan. He was once what? An angel, right? What kind of angel was he? In the book of Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15, son of man, 
sing this a funeral song to the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Yahuwah. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green, jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. So all angels, they were created by God. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. And so who was Satan before he used to be a powerful, mighty, angelic guardian? When he was created, he was the model of what? perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. And so he was not an ordinary angel. He was a mighty angelic guardian. And he had access to the holy mountain of God. He was perfect and wise and exquisite in beauty until evil was found in him. What was that evil that was found in him? Let's keep reading, 16 to 18. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned, so I banished you in, the, in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. And so what was the pride, what was the, the sin, the evil found in uh, Satan? I guess his previous name was, the way we understand it is Lucifer, right? But if we can look at the original languages, it may not be read as Lucifer, but if in, in the context so that we can understand each other, let's call him Lucifer, right? He was a powerful angel. Evil was found in him. That evil was his pride. What does that mean? What was his pride all about? Somebody else, someone else spoke about that. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. You who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And so what was the pride that was seen in Lucifer, which warped him, and eventually Yahuwah God cast him down, and he fell from heaven. He wanted to ascend to heaven to be above God's stars. In other words, he was not content with what he had. He wanted more. He wanted to be even higher than the most high God. This was his pride. And because of his pride, he fell. He became a fallen angel. That's why in Revelation 12, 9, it says he was cast down, thrown down into the earth. But who was thrown down together with him? All his angels. And so Satan was not the only one who was cast down. Also his 
angels. And so Satan is the devil. His fallen angels are also devils or what do we call them? Demons. So fallen angels are demons, just like Satan. They used to be angels, angels who were punished by God. Why were they punished by God? Let's read Jude 1 verse 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So why did God punish these other angels? Why were they also cast down to the earth? That's because they did not remain within the limits of their authority. They left the place where they belonged. They did not fulfill God's purpose and what was required of them. They were to serve God. But instead of serving God, they wanted to be the ones to be served. Just like, who is that again? It's Lucifer. And so they were punished by God, securely chained in prison, prisons of Darkness. Now, what could that possibly mean? An actual place, an actual prison? Maybe, but I believe that represents their inability to repent. There's nothing they can do anymore to reverse the judgment that God has cast upon them. And so the prison of darkness is metaphorical for their condition being forever damned by God because they're awaiting the great day of judgment. What is to happen to them? to Satan together with his angels on the day of judgment. Matthew 25, 41, then the king will say to those on his left, get away from me, God has cursed you, go into everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angel. This is their destiny. And so there's nothing they can do to change that destiny. They are prisoners of darkness. They are no longer able to repent and reverse God's decree about concerning them. So their destiny is the lake of fire, everlasting fire that was prepared specifically for them. However, while they're waiting for that, they're basically doing their best. The devil, the demons, they're working together. And what do they try to do here on earth? In Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so what we are up against as people of God, sons and daughters, our greatest threat, our greatest enemy is not flesh and blood, but what's behind, what's influencing flesh and blood, what's influencing human beings. What's influencing governments? What's influencing kings? What's influencing people of influence? Who are they? Authorities of the unseen world, evil spirits. This is the devil and his demons. And so we are up against an enemy that is basically invisible. We need to defend ourselves from demonic attack. And so what can they sometimes do? These demons, how do they try and subvert the people of God. The book of Daniel, chapter 10, 12 to 13, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, 
Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for, for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so how do demons and evil spirits attempt to thwart the service and the work of the people of God. One way is by becoming an obstacle to answered prayer. What's an example? We have Daniel the prophet who prayed to Yahuwah God concerning the meaning of certain prophecies. And when he prayed, his prayers were heard. The answer was being delivered to Yahuwah God. But the angel who was in charge of delivering the answer he was, uh, he, he was hindered by a spirit, a demon, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. It's a good thing Michael showed up and he helped him. And so this is an illustration, an example of how demons can infiltrate our faith, our spiritual walk, by hindering our prayers to God. This is why we have to persist in prayer. One of the ways we can prevail over the enemy is by praying always in the spirit. And so what does Yahusha call demons and fallen angels? Matthew 10.1, Yahusha called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. What does Yahusha call fallen angels? They're called evil Spirit. So they are spirits in their nature or being. Hence, in their true nature, they are what? Invisible. They have no physical form. And so when we say, well, how does Satan look like? What does the demon look like? Right? Well, his true nature, he is invisible. But he is able to manifest himself just like other angels into different forms. Like what? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. This is why we should not always think that when Satan's influence, Satan's work is depicted, it's always going to be with pitchforks and horns. Oftentimes he will depict himself in the form of beauty, beautiful music maybe, right? Because he can transform himself into whatever for form he wants to accomplish his scheme. Hence, we need to be always aware of his schemes so that we will not be uh, targeted. We will not be defeated by the enemy. Okay. Um, so let's go to question number three. How does one get possessed by a demon? And have you personally, Kajan, ever had to perform an exorcism? Thankfully, no, I have not been able to do that. And hopefully, I don't get the opportunity uh, to do that, but exorcism is what was practiced by the early followers of Yahusha, right? The Apostle Paul exercised some demons, Apostle Peter exercised some demons during that time. Demon exorcism was a common thing in the Philippines. Uh, it's also a common thing for some reason. There are many Filipinos who are possessed by evil spirits. Um, so we don't know if this is going to be a problem, but the question is how does one get possessed by a demon? An even better question is how can we protect ourselves so that we don't get possessed by demons, right? So how does one get possessed by a demon? Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 
12, 43, 45. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it gets into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So how does one get possessed by the devil? Number one, by invitation, right? I mean, if by Yahusha is speaking about a person who had the evil spirit left him, and so the evil spirit will look for another host, because he's looking for a host, a body, a home to dwell in. If he cannot find one, he goes back to where he came from. If he goes back to where he came from and the house is empty, he can come back to that place and he can bring other spirits to that place. And Yahusha gives the warning. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So brothers and sisters, what Yahusha is telling us is this. Those who will be possessed by an evil spirit or by a demon are the ones whose body is empty. Because if it's empty, then some an evil spirit can take over it. What does that mean? Empty of what? Let's read the book of Corinthians 3 verse 16. Surely you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. And so who are those who can be possessed by a demon or an evil spirit? People who do not have the spirit of God living in them. So if the spirit of God does not live in us, we who are the temple of God, then we are prone. We can be uh, a target and we can have the evil spirit possess us. And so our defense against demonic possession is possessing what? The spirit of God. If we have the spirit of God in us, it is impossible. It is impossible for that person to be possessed by the devil or by his demons. However, does it mean that we cannot be influenced by the devil? If we are followers of Yahusha and Yahuwah, and because of this, we have the spirit of God dwelling in us and living in us, and so we cannot be possessed anymore by the enemy of God. Does it mean we cannot be influenced? Does it mean that the devil cannot tempt us anymore? Well, who is an example of one who is a follower of Yahushua, but he was temporarily influenced by him in some way? Let's read what it says in the book of Matthew 16, 22, 23. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Yahushua turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And so, yes, because Peter was a follower of Yahushua, places faith in him because he is an apostle chosen by Yahushua. The likelihood of him being possessed is very low, but he can be influenced. This is an example of one being influenced by the devil. You see, one, there's a difference between being influenced by the devil and being possessed by the devil, right? To be influenced by the devil means a person 
has thoughts in his heart that come from the enemy. And so when Yahushua announced to his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and die, here's Apostle Peter. He says to Yahushua, uh, for this will never happen to you. I forbid it. And so what does Yahushua say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. Because that thought that came from the mouth of Apostle Peter, it did not come from God. It came from the adversary. So Apostle Peter, he was influenced by Satan in making this remark. But of course, he was not possessed by Satan. He was able to defeat Satan by the help of Yahushua. He was, it did not come to the point where Satan possessed him. But who, on the other hand, was an apostle who was influenced by Satan, but and he allowed Satan to influence him. And so eventually, Satan took over and possessed him. Who is that? <laughs> he was also an apostle, but because he allowed Satan to influence him, eventually, Satan possessed him. Let's read the book of Jude. I mean, John, the book of John, 12, 4 to 6. But Judas is carried. The disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So we have here a person. His name is Judas Iscariot, one of the apostles, who was prone to demonic possession. Why? Because he had a heart for it. What was his heart? Which made him... Uh, prone to being influenced by the devil. He had a love for money. So much so that he was willing to betray Yahushua for money. He loved money. This is why he often took or stole money for himself from what was collected by Yahushua's disciples. He was the treasurer. He was in charge. He had authority over the money. And he took some for himself. And so he had the propensity for evil. He had an opening for the devil to not only influence him, but also to enter in him. So we read John 12, 4 to 6. We know that Judas Iscariot has this weakness, and he does not address that weakness. And this is an important point, because the question is, who are those who are going to be demon-possessed? That was the question, right? How does one get demon-possessed? It begins with the devil or the demon looking for a weak point. So if we have a weak point in our life, if we have a vice, if we have a moral weakness, if we don't address that, if we don't patch that up, that will be a way for the devil to influence us and then to enter in us and possess our life. Judas had a weak point, but he did not address it. And so what eventually happened? We read John 12. Let's keep moving forward in time. During the supper, John 13, Yahushua and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon uh, Iscariot, the thought of betraying Yahushua. And so because the devil knows that Judas had this love for money, he used that as an opportunity to be able to influence Judas. You see that? How so? He planted a thought in his heart. What was that thought? Betrayed Yahusha for money. And so it was implanted. And so he was thinking about that. And because of his love for money, he was drawn more and more to that. 
the more you entertain these thoughts from the devil. When he wants to influence you, eventually he will possess you. And so what happened after the supper? John 13, 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan, what did he do? Entered into him. Yahushua said to him, hurry and do what you must. So you see the progression of how the devil wants to possess individuals. When he wants to attack in a personal level, he begins by looking at your weakness. If you don't address that weakness, he will influence you with that weakness. If you entertain that influence, he will enter you and then destroy your life. Brothers and sisters, we need to protect ourselves from demonic possession. It is true. There are demons. They are invisible adversaries who want to destroy our life. And so we need to protect ourselves. How do we do so? Well, in the book of 1 John, how can we protect ourselves so that we will not be overcome by Satan and his demons? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, whoever continues to sin belongs to the devil because the devil has sinned from the very beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very reason, to destroy what the devil had done. So he will look for a weakness. And so if there's a sin that we continue doing again and again. It's called a vice. If we don't address that, Satan can use that to destroy us and influence us. What was the, uh, the weakness of Judas Iscariot? Love for? What is your weakness, brothers and sisters? I don't have a weakness, brother. Not me. I'm different. I have no weakness. What is your weakness? Pride, right? Sometimes that's very difficult to find in ourselves. But we all have weaknesses. And so we need to make sure whatever that is, we have to let Yahuwah God help us so that we don't continue to sin. Because if we continue to sin, the devil is going to destroy us. How else can we overcome the devil? Well, Ephesians 4, 27, 30, 32. Don't give the devil a, a chance. Judas is scared. Give him a chance. So he got devoured. Do not make God's Holy Spirit sad for the spirit is God's mark of ownership on you. A guarantee that the day will come when God will set you free. Get rid of all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. How else can we protect ourselves from the devil? The Bible says do not give him a chance. How do we give the devil a chance? When we grieve or we make the Holy Spirit sad. Because when the Spirit is in us, there's no way the devil can touch us. There's no way the devil can possess us and influence us if the Spirit is in us. But when you grieve the Spirit and the Spirit leaves, what happens? It gives the devil a chance, an opportunity. And so to prevent giving the devil a chance or an opportunity, what must we do? We need to make sure that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you do that? When you have bitterness in your heart, when you have uh, anger in your heart, when you have hateful feelings in your heart. What are we doing, brethren? We are grieving the Holy Spirit, thereby giving an opportunity for the devil to ruin our life. And so get rid of these feelings, anger, bitterness, hate. Get rid of that in our heart because it's an opportunity 
for the devil to influence and even possess us. And we don't want that to happen. What else must we do? How else can we protect ourselves by making sure that the Holy Spirit remains in us? Let's read Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. How else can we protect the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts by running away from sexual immorality, sexual sin? The devil knows all about the human craving, the lust for the flesh, and he will use that. Because once a human being bites, there goes the Holy Spirit. And there goes the devil with the opportunity to destroy your life. Don't give him the chance. What else uh, must we not do to, so that we can protect ourselves from demonic possession? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20. No, what I am saying is that what is sacrificed on pagan altars is offered to demons not to God, and I do not want to be partners with demons. What else does Apostle Paul warn us about so that we don't become victims of demonic possession? Don't be partners with, with demons. You know how people become partners with demons? When they sacrifice on pagan altars offered to demons. What does that mean? Well, we get an idea because this is one way by which the devil can bypass the influence part, right, and go straight to possession. Usually when the devil will possess an individual, he begins with influencing the weakness and then go to the possession, right? But if you freely partner with the demon, then he bypasses the influence part. He doesn't need that because you're inviting him to be partners with demons. We don't want to do that. So how do you partner with the demon? What are these pagan ways that we possibly can partner with a demon, and which is not, which is something we do not want to do. Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 14. When you enter the land of Yahuwah, your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. So far, so good. None of us are going to do that. <laughs> For example, never sacrifice your son. Okay. And do not let your people practice. What does it say? Fortune telling. Oh boy. Isn't that popular nowadays? Right? Sometimes when you're driving along the road, you see like a psychic's palm reading. You see that, right? Oh, it's just for fun. You're inviting yourself to partner with demons. Horoscopes, eating a fortune cookie. No, you can eat a fortune cookie. But you know, do not believe in those kind of things. Fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. These are the things of the occult. Anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahuwah. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that Yahuwah, your God, will drive them out ahead of you, but you must be blameless before Yahuwah your God. The nations you're about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, 
But Yahuwah, your God, forbids you to do such things. And so how can a person partner with demons by engaging in occultic practices like witchcraft, casting spells, engaging with psychics, consulting with mediums, calling forth the spirit of the dead, which is very popular now, black magic, the occult, Ouija boards, other games that sometimes teenagers nowadays play. They think it's just a joke, harmless fun. Let us try, what is that game called with the glass? Spirit of the glass. Let's communicate with the devil, with evil spirits. You're dabbling with the occult. You're dabbling with demons. And when you do that, not only are you giving an opening for demon possession, you are inviting them for demon possession. And so brothers and sisters, let us protect ourselves. Let us protect our kids from engaging in these things. The devil will make it appear it's just fun. It's just for fun. We're not really serious about this. But guess who's serious about it? The devil and the demons, right? And so we need to protect ourselves because for sure, the devil will attack us in a personal level, right? A question that, that we wanted to answer, how, you know, how does the devil possess an individual? One way is by personal attack. However, the devil and the demons... They're not just here to try and destroy us on a personal level. No, they play in the big leagues. They want to influence the whole world, right? They want to influence not just individuals, but whole classes of people, not individuals. Remember what the Bible says? The devil and his demons, they have deceived. What does it say? The whole? Yeah. And so he doesn't just attack at a personal level. He wants to do this globally. And so how does he do that? There's a lot of demonic activity at the institutional level. Always keep that in mind. Because he influences the world. And to influence the world worldwide scale, you need to influence the institutions that people belong to. Right? And there are different institutions that people belong to. There are three major ones. And the devil will do his best to influence all three. Three areas of institutionalized demonic attack. We need to protect ourselves at a personal level, which what we just showed you. We need to also protect ourselves on a global level or more generally, right? Three areas of institutionalized demonic attack. What does the devil and his demons attack at a global level by attacking the institutions throughout the world? Let's read the book of Daniel. Chapter 10, 12 to 13. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. We studied this already, right? It's about the work of the evil spirit. In trying to hinder the answered prayer for Daniel, right? What do you notice about the passage, though? That should cause us to ask some questions. What have you noticed? It mentions two times a kingdom of Persia. You see the demons. The devil knows. If he wants to influence a lot of people, 
Where will he do his majority work? Where? Kingdoms. The leaders of kingdoms, right? Especially the number one guy. What do you think? If he's able to influence policies that cover millions of people with one temptation, what do you think he has? He has control over the masses. He's not just interested at a personal level. He wants to control the masses as well. And this begins with kingdoms. Look at Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15, talking about the devil. Do you notice something? What do you notice in verse 12? You're saying, brother, this is about the, the de- this is about the devil, right? Yeah. The Bible's speaking about the cherub. He's speaking about the devil who was perfected with wisdom and exquisite and beauty, who had access to the holy mountain of God. He was a mighty angelic guardian. He was perfect in every way when he was created until evil was found in him. Who is this referring to again? The devil. But you notice in the Bible, it was speaking about who? The king of Tyr. Is it about the king of Tyr? No. It's about the devil. It's about Lucifer. However, Lucifer does his work by influencing the king. Why? Because when he influences the king, he influences everyone in his what? Kingdom. Do you get it? It saves him a lot of time, doesn't it? Instead of uh, influencing one individual person, because the devil's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient. He has to do it individually. This is why every kingdom in the past, there were different devils, different demons assigned to them to influence them. Did you know that? Government leaders are the targets. Government policies are the targets of the devil. Why? Because when he influences these leaders who are influencers, when he influences these powerful people, at the same time, he influences all of their followers. You see that? This is why we have to understand what the devil does. And so let's keep reading Ezekiel 28. We know he influences the kings, the government leaders and government policies. But what also does the devil do? What else does his demons do? What are some of the work that he does? If we keep reading 28 to 16 or 18, this is his ways. Your rich commerce led you to violence. He's speaking about the king of Tyr. What the king of Tyr did which was influenced by the devil because the devil wants to do his best to destroy people's lives, not to make it better, but to destroy it. In one way is by controlling commerce. That's why in verse 18, you, you defile your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. He knows that where the money goes, evil flows, <laughs> Right. And so he's capitalizing on the fact that people are driven by money. Apostle Paul says that the love for money is the root of all evil. Now we know why. The devil is using that. This is why when he wants to control the masses, he wants to control commerce. And so what we can see, three areas of institutionalized demon attack. Number one, government leaders and policies. He wants to start at the top. The big guy at the top. Number two, business institutions. He wants to control the flow of money. Why? Because when you do that, you have control of people. But there's a third one. 
Anyone care to guess what the third one may be? Huh? What other institution do you think the devil's going to be? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get you. And you're not even going to know. Who do you think that is? What do you think that is? I should say. What do you think that is? Religious institutions. Take a look at this. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 15. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. And so what will Satan also target? What are some of his high priority targets? Government leaders, business tycoons, and leaders. What else? Bible says servants of righteousness religious institutions especially in that religious institution the one that has the most what influence do you think the devil when he wants to destroy a religious institution do you think he's going to begin with the one at the bottom what do you think if he wants to destroy that institution, he will begin with what? The one at the top, right? Does that make any sense? That's what he does. He will transform himself into an angel of light to get that done. And many have been duped. Are we surprised? Is this something that we see in the Bible? That the target of the devil is indeed the, the one at the top. The one giving direction, the one giving orders. Is that biblical? Oh, yeah. Who's an example? Let's read the book of Samuel 10, 6 to 7. At the time, the spirit of Yahuwah, at that time, the spirit of Yahuwah will come powerfully upon you. And you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done for God is with you. And Saul <laughs> turned and started to leave. God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And so here's Samuel. He's going to anoint Saul to be the first king of Israel, the king of Israel. You know what that means? He becomes a target, <laughs> right? He'll become a target. When he was anointed, what would become of Saul? He would be changed into a different person. Why? Because the spirit of Jehovah will be upon him. And after he was anointed, was that fulfilled? Oh, yeah. That's why if you read verse 9, after Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And so God was with Saul. God appointed Saul to be king of all Israel. But what happened to Saul? Remember, he's a target. He was working behind the scenes. If uh, Satan wants to destroy Israel, would he begin with the stone builders <laughs> and work his way up? No, he's going to begin with the one at the top. So what happens to him? He proceed forward. He does well so far. And then all of a sudden, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to Yahuwah all night. So God says, I regret that he became king, that I appointed him king. And so why did God say that? Because he has not performed the commandments of Yahuwah God. When you, when you go back to the history, it was just one thing that he forgot. He did everything else right. 
right? When Yehovah God tell him kill everything, he spared the king, <laughs> Agag, Amalekites. It was a small blunder. But Yehovah God said, because of this blunder, I regret to make, make him as king. So what happened after that? 16, 12 to 14. So Jesse sent for, uh, sent for him. He was handsome, healthy young man, and his eyes sparkled. Yehovah said to Samuel, this is the one, anoint him. Samuel took the olive oil and anointed David in front of his brothers. Immediately, the spirit of Yehovah took control of David and was with him from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Yahuwah's spirit left Saul and an evil spirit sent by Yahuwah tormented him. What happened after Yahuwah rejected Saul as king? Bible says the spirit of Yahuwah left Saul. Was he still in his throne? Yes. Was he still of God? No. He was no longer of God. God took away his spirit. And after God took away his spirit, what did Yahuwah permit to happen? An evil spirit would enter him and torment him. He was possessed now by the devil, right? God took away his spirit. He was still in the throne, but in reality, he was sitting on that throne. Yeah. This is why God said, okay, I'm going to give it to David. And people thought it was Saul. No, it was David. But they kept following Saul. They kept following the influence of the enemy. And so when, when it comes to institutions that become targets of the enemy number one government leaders and policies number two business institutions who are powerful number three religious institutions namely the number one guy if there's a number one guy he's going to be number one target now because we all belong well not all but since most of us belong to a religion we need to examine our religion don't you think so because you're going to be targets the devil's not going to sit idly by and say oh, okay good job and, and applaud and do nothing about it, right? This is why if you are, if you belong to a true religion, expect persecution and all that. And so how can we know? How can we know if a religious leader or a religious institution is under demonic influence? We need to know. We need to find out. The Bible gives us a lot of clues. Like what? Deuteronomy 32, 16 to 18. They stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign Gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons, which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods, only recently arrived, to gods or ancestors had never feared. You neglected the rock who had fathered you. You forgot the God who had given you birth. How can we test the religious institution we belong to? To see whether or not it's under the influence of a demonic attack. Bible says the demon's influence is to cause the people to forget who? Bible says to forget God. It also causes people or it causes Yahuwah God to be jealous of what they're doing. He stirred up jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. Why is Yahuwah God forgotten? Why is Yahuwah God jealous? Because they're serving someone else. They're worshiping someone else. They're giving their adoration to someone else. They forgot who? Yahuwah God. That is demonic influence. That's what the Bible is teaching us here. And so they forget and replace God with someone else. That is a sign of demonic influence. What else? 
Let's read the book of Corinthians 11.3. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. I want to pause there for a while. Who is that serpent who is very cunning? Who is that? The devil, right? A demon? Yeah, the head demon. He's very cunning. What does he influence religions to do? Take a look at this. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, your minds may somehow be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Brethren, let's examine the institution we belong to. Are we taken away from a pure and sincere, sincere devotion to Christ? Because if the religious institution we belong to does not direct and lead us to Christ, that is not of God. That is of the devil. And so in the religious institution you belong to, the one that you speak about all the time, the one that you adore is not Christ, but someone else. Brethren, that is not the influence of Christ. That's the influence of the serpent. So that's number two, right? If it's not Christ-centric, but someone else-centric, it's not of God. That is influenced by the devil. What else? Take a look at this. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. Now, if anyone has made somebody sad, he has not done it to me, but to all of you, in part at least. I say this because I do not want to be too hard on him. It is enough that this person has been punished in this way by most of you. Now, however, you should forgive him and encourage him in order to keep him from becoming so sad as to give up completely. And so I beg you to let him know that you really do love him. I wrote you that letter because I wanted to find out how well you had stood the test and whether you are always ready to obey my instructions. When you forgive people for what they have done, I forgive them too. For when I forgive, if indeed I need to forgive anything, I do it in Christ's presence because of you in order to keep Satan, right, from getting the upper hand over us. For we know what his plans are. You know what this passage is all about? Apostle Paul was criticized by a certain member. They were criticizing his authority as an apostle. And so this hurt the followers of Paul. And so they hated him. They treated him. They did not treat him well. Apostle Paul writes to them, you know, he's been punished enough. You should forgive him already. Because this is the thing we need to do in the presence of Christ. Because if we will not forgive this person, what are we doing? We are, we are giving Satan the upper hand over us. And what does he plan to do? He wants to destroy us. Do you see what Apostle Paul is saying here? Apostle Paul is telling the Christians. Because they did not want this person to be in their fellowship anymore. Because they criticized they criticized Paul. They said, no, you, you're not really placed by God as an apostle, right? And apostle Paul said, no, forgive him, love him. But they don't want to. And apostle Paul's trying to convince him, no, you have to forgive him and love him. Because if you don't, apostle Paul says, you keep Satan. You give Satan the opportunity to have the upper hand over us. And so any religion, take note, <laughs> that is not willing to forgive not willing to forgive, who do not practice forgiveness. That is the influence of who? 
Satan. And that religion is under demonic attack. What else? Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 3. There are three elements here. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, in the later time, in later times, a some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hip hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know and who know the truth. And so how else can we recognize a religious institution influenced by the demons? Apostle Paul warns about this. And even in the later times, during our time, we're going to see this. Those who practice religion and in the name of religion, they will teach things that is of the demon. Does it mean they're going to say, okay, follow this book from the demon? No, it's going to be a lot subtle than that because the devil's very subtle in his ways. How does Apostle Paul describe the religious institutions that is influenced by deceiving spirits and by the demons themselves? The Bible says their teachings come through hypocritical liars. And so they practice deceit and fraud. They're willing to, for example, lie to the government, right? They will practice deceit and cause others to practice deceit. And they will say such things as this is to protect our religion. And so they will use it in the name of religion. In the name of religion, we should practice lying and deceit so that we can protect our fellowship. Okay, Bible says that is the influence of the devil. What else? Bible says consciences have been seared when they're doing the things that God hates, when they're doing the things that is wrong, but their consciences are not bothered by it. You know, for the Bible to say your consciences have been seared, they must be doing despicable things. And so these are despicable things that they're going to be doing but their consciences are not bothered by that at all. That is an influence of the devil. And number three, the Bible says they forbid people. And so they tell the members of their congregation not to do certain things. They forbid them to do certain things. And they will say, because it's the teaching of God. But the Bible says, no. In this case, Bible says they will forbid people to marry and to abstain from foods. But God did not forbid such things. You see the point there? They will take it upon themselves to forbid people to do the things which God never forbid. <laughs> if any religious institutions follow that template, that is not influenced by God. That is a religion under demonic attack. What else? First John 2, 9 to 13. If we say that we are in the light yet hate others, we are in the darkness to this very hour. If we love others, we live in the light. And so there is nothing in us that will cause someone else to sin. But if we hate others, we are in the darkness. We walk in it and do not know where we are going because the darkness has made us blind. I write to you, my children, because your sins are for forgiven for the sake of Christ. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who has existed from the beginning I write to you, young people, because you have defeated the evil one. To defeat the evil one, we have to be in the light. Those who have been defeated or are influenced by the evil one, they are where? What's the opposite of light? Darkness. darkness. And so a religion, a religious institution, who is still in darkness, is still in, under the influence of 
the evil one. They're influenced by, uh, by demons, those who are in darkness. Who are those in darkness? Those who hate others. Even if they say that we are in the light, but they hate others. What they say is different from what they practice. If they hate others and they say we hate others in the name of our religion, Bible says they are still in darkness. They are still under the influence of the evil one. So any religion that promotes hatred of other people, that is not of God, that is of the devil. So, so far we have nine signs. Well, we have seven, but they're going to be nine. Okay, number one, forgetting and replacing God with an idol. Remember that? Deuteronomy. Number two, not Christ-centric instead of placing devotion to Yahusha. It's to someone else. What else? Does not practice forgiveness. In particular, they're not willing to forgive because their leader has been criticized. Number four, practices fraud and deceit in the name of religion. Shows no conscience for doing wrong. Forbids that which God has not forbidden and promotes hatred of other people. You see that so far? Right? But there's two more. And before I give you the, the next two, I want you to consider this. Do you remember the three institutions of demonic attack? Remember? What yeah. were they again? The government, business, religious. If the devil is in charge of all three, if he can somehow unite all three, it makes it more influential and powerful. What do you think? If he focuses on a religious institution and causes the religious institution to have connections with and dealings with and relationships with businesses and government leaders and policies, what do you think about that? The devil will go, bingo. <laughs> that makes it even more influential and powerful. Has this happened? Is it, can, has, have religious institutions mingled with business institutions and government leaders and policies? Yes or no? The Bible speaks about that, actually. The book of Revelation 18, 2-4. With a mighty voice he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She, she has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. I want to pause there for a while. Bible speaking about a harlot, right? Which means a false religion. And so he's speaking, the Apostle John is specifically speaking about false religion. A religion influenced by the devil. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. So this religion is under the influence of the evil one. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. What is the warning of the scriptures, especially during our time? Apostle John is warning us about religious institutions who have garnered great power, authority, and influence over the world. How do they get this power? You notice what it says there? They committed adultery with who? Kings of the earth. And who else? Merchants of the earth. And because of this, they have access to excessive what? Luxuries. 
something that is not available for the commoner, they have access to. Influence not available for the commoner, they have access to. Why? Because they committed adultery with the kings of the earth, merchants of the earth. When you're able to do that, it makes your religion more influential and it makes your religion able to affect more people. And who is behind it all? The evil spirit. It's a home for demons. And so when there are religions today who meddle with politics, they engage in shady business deals with business tycoons who are known criminals and unite with government leaders like politicians. And so these politicians mutually scratch each other's backs. You know what I'm talking about? You scratch mine, I'll scratch yours. You help me, I'll help you. Wow, that religion can be powerful. And, but that religion's power is not from God. It's from who? The mastermind, the devil. And so we have nine signs of a religious institution under demonic influence. Number one, they replace God because they forget him. They give the adoration, the glory to someone else. Number two, not Christ-centric at all. Can you imagine a religion? They don't even mention Christ. <laughs> Number three, they do not practice forgiveness. They practice fraud and deceit in the name of religion. They show no conscience for doing wrong, forbids what God has not forbidden, promotes hatred, engages in shady business deals, unites with government leaders. If we have religions like this, you can see the signs, even if you see just one of these signs, right? But if you see all nine, you know what the Bible tells us to do? In Revelations 18, 2 to 4. Do you know what the Bible tells us to do? Yep. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. And so, brethren, if I were you, you belong to a religion that is described by these nine signs of demonic influence. Why are you going to stay there? Right? When specifically the Bible gives us the instruction, come out of her, my people. Because if one will not come out, Bible says that they will share in their sins. And they will receive of her plagues. Brethren, the Bible is not wrong. Read this passage with meditative hearts and pray to God to ask you for direction. What do I need to do? Because brethren, the Bible speaks loud and clear. Because if we don't want to be under the influence of the devil, we have to protect ourselves. And the Bible is giving us the way to do that. We just have to act on what the Bible is giving us and teaching us, right? And so brothers and sisters, for us to be able to overcome the devil so that we will not be a victim of a demonic possession and influence, what are the things that we must do? Three things before we pray. First Peter 5, 6 to 9, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's number one. Let us humble ourselves. Under God's mighty hand. You see, by ourselves, we stand no chance against the enemy, right? That's number one. Humble yourselves under the 
the mighty hand of God. Depend on God, not on our own ability. What else? First Peter 2, 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Apostle Peter tells us so that we will overcome the enemy, the devil. We place ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We submit to the will and authority of God. Number two, we turn ourselves to our shepherd or our true leader. Who is that? Yahusha. Why should we turn ourselves to the, our shepherd, the chief shepherd, Yahusha HaMashiach himself? He's the guardian of our souls. And the guardian of our souls, our chief shepherd tells us to do good. He tells us not to retaliate when we're insulted. Leave it in the hands of God because that's what he did. And he wants us to follow what he did. And number three, brothers and sisters, John 14, 23, Yahusha answered him, those who love me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and my father and I will come to them and live with them. Here's my question to you, brothers and sisters. If Yahuwah Abba and Yahusha HaMashiach live in us, <laughs> do you think the devil can ever possess us? No. No. He will stay away from us. And that's the key. But how can we have the Father and His Son live in us and with us when we obey the teachings of Yahusha with love? And that's the, the main point. Because there are people who obey the teachings, but their motivation is not love. You see, we must obey the teachings because we love Yahuwah, our God, and because we love Yahusha HaMashiach. If the purpose of why we obey, the purpose why we worship, the purpose of why we serve, the purpose for why we sacrifice is because of love for Yahuwah God and love for Yahusha HaMashiach, then what Yahusha said will be true in our life. The Father and His Son, Yahusha, will live in us. And when... Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach lives in us. There is no way. It's impossible. Impossible for the devil to touch us. He cannot even influence us. But it begins with obedience, with love. Acting upon the voice of our king. When we're able to do that, and brethren, we will find safety. We will not be harmed. We will not be possessed by the evil one. Because Yahuwah claims possession of us. They belong to me. He will say to the devil, do not touch them. These ones belong to me. They are my sons and my daughters. No one messes with the sons and daughters of God. No one can ever defeat the sons and daughters of God. Brethren, we are the sons and daughters of God. Let's keep it that way. 
Let's heed the voice of our king. Let us obey because of our love. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray. Everlasting and loving Father, Yahuwah, our God. Yes, Father. Thank you so much, loving Abba. Yes, for giving us your instructions. Amen. We know that soon you will send your beloved son. Yes, Father. Our King Mashiach. Yes, Lord. We know on that day we shall receive salvation. Amen. But we also know the adversary of our faith. Yes. The invisible forces of darkness. Yes, Father. That seek to undermine our faith will seek to devour us. Yes, Father. We place ourselves under your mighty hand. We submit to your authority. Yes. Please keep us safe as we do our best to resist him. Amen. Yahushua, our king, yes. you are our chief shepherd. Yes, you are the guardian of our soul. Protect us. Yes. You gave us your teachings. We want to be like you. And so we will obey. And as we obey, we want to express how much we love you. We do yes. love you, Yahushua, our king. We recognize what you have done for all of us because yes. you gave up your life for our sake, even though we were so adversaries, Amen. though we were sinners. You loved us nonetheless, yes. and you died for us with your blood. Thank you so much. Yes. We profess faith in you, Amen. and we will do our best to be like you. Amen. Only guide us every step of the way. Be our shepherd yes. who will attend to us in time of weakness. Amen. Father, thank you so much. We express to you our love by obedience. We will worship you and serve you always. Remember your people. Help us when we're under attack. Yes. We know you are always at work, often behind the scenes. Yes. We thank you now and forever for all that you have done and for all that you will do. Yes. Because as you work in us and through us, we can feel your mighty presence. Amen. Please remember those who are weakening in faith. Remember our children as well. Yes. May you help us all to be strong enough in faith and yes. love that we can remain standing and resisting the enemy, that we can remain yours forever, your sons and daughters. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.